Fidelity High, the people you dig, the records they love. Steve Earle is a Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter whose songs have been recorded by Johnny Cash, Willie Nelson, Emmylou Harris, Waylon Jennings, Levon Helm, Joan Baez, and countless others. 2011 saw the release of his debut novel, I'll Never Get Out of This World Alive, in which Patti Smith stated, Steve Earle brings to his prose the same authenticity, poetic spirit, and cinematic energy he projects in his music. I'll Never Get Out of This World Alive is like a dream you can't shake, offering beauty and remorse, redemption and spades. Steve has been featured as an actor in the critically acclaimed HBO original series The Wire and Treme, as well as multiple feature films. He is also the host of the weekly radio show Hardcore Troubadour Radio, which is featured on Sirius XM's Outlaw Country Channel. His new album, So You Want to Be an Outlaw, features guest appearances by Willie Nelson and Miranda Lambert. This is Steve Earle and My Fidelity Highs Honky Tonk Heroes by Waylon Jennings. Yeah, the first time uh, I heard Honky Tonk Heroes was, 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 interestingly enough, just before I moved to Nashville, I'd... I've been, I mean, I was lucky. I was at the first Dripping Springs reunion. I was at the first Fourth of July picnic. And I was at the Abbott Homecoming in 1973, which is like in between the two, I think. Well, it was in between the, first, the Dripping Springs and the first picnic, for sure. Or maybe, maybe after the first picnic. And it was a horrible failure. Hardly anybody was there. But but uh, I saw Waylon, and I also saw Waylon at a hard ticket show in Houston, because I just moved over to Houston. I moved to Houston in 72. On my own, and um, you know, I saw a lot of shows. Me and a friend of mine, Diane Smith, just went and saw music. We went to Abbott together. We went to the Fourth Fourth of July picnic together from Houston, and we went to the Abbott Homecoming. And you know, it was um, the bill at Abbott was uh, it was just sort of out of the way. I don't know Abbott's where Willie's actually from, and it's it's. Uh, it's in between, you know, 35 and 45 in the middle of nowhere out there. And, and um, you know, Hillsboro is the closest town of any size. And it's um, like the bill was Willie, Sammy Smith, Waylon, um, Kinky Friedman, the Texas Jew Boys. First time I, I saw Kinky. And um, Jerry Jeff Walker, the Gonzo Band. Um, who else was on it? Um but it was pretty great, Bill. And, you know, I saw Waylon probably four times, you know, in the two years before that. And that, um, you know, Abbott was um, the first time that he showed up with the grease gone out of his hair. You know, it was before the beard and, and, and you know, He'd stopped slicking his hair back, and it was everybody. It was kind of an audible gasp from, and there weren't that many people there. There were just a couple hundred, three hundred people there, because um, it was an abject failure. But, but uh, it was, you know, I just remember that pretty clearly. I mean, he'd been on all of these things, and that Willie had done, and um, I saw him, you know, I saw him on a hard ticket date in Houston with Barbara Mandrell opening. But that was all when he showed up, you know, for this show in Abbott. Something it was obvious things were changing. I know now that Honky Tonk Heroes was already in the can. And um, we didn't know about it, you know. I didn't hear about it until the record came out in 73. And, um, but we, I knew who Billy Joe Shaver was. And I guess the reason why I knew who Billy Joe was pretty early was a guy named Danny Epps, 
who was around Houston. He was a folky and a, and a kind of progressive country kind of songwriter. Um, you know, that uh, first person I ever knew personally that had a Texas Hatters hat besides Jerry Jeff Walker. And, and he, um, you know, he hung out the old quarter and, and I knew him. And in fact, at the, I, I can't remember whether it was Abbott, whether, I mean, whether it was the, the, the Dripping Springs reunion or the 4th of July picnic, I think it was Dripping Springs. You know, Danny was supposed to be playing with Billy Joe when Billy Joe did his set, but but he didn't because he was sitting with me way, way in the back of the crowd smoking a joint when he was supposed to be on stage. So, um, But I knew about Billy Joe from Jump Street. So when the record finally came out, um, I was just, I was married by that time, living in, in San, back in San Antonio and um, playing a couple of clubs and really starting to plot heavily about going to Nashville. when I think it might have been, you know, part of the deciding factor that, the, yeah, there's something happening. Because it was recorded in Nashville, so, so there's, there's stuff going on in Nashville, too. And Guy Clark was there, and so that's where I headed. Jesse remembers it slightly differently than Richie does, and both of their memories are slightly different than the legend. Um, the legend says that Billy Joe showed up at RCA Studios and, um, you know, tried to hold um, Waylon to a promise that he had made at the, I think at the at uh, the first 4th of July picnic or maybe Dripping Springs, that he was going to make a whole, I guess it would have had to have been Dripping Springs, that he was going to make a whole record of his songs. Um, you know, um, which would have been an outrageous thing for anybody to do or promise even for Waylon Jennings. And, you know, Waylon was at this point where he had just started stepping out, managed to use his band on a track here and there, and um, uh, but still recorded largely with studio players. Um, but, you know, you know, and then Waylon, supposedly, according to the legend, he said, play me one song. If I don't like it, you're out of here. But he likes, okay, play me another one, play me another one, play me another one, and he ended up making a whole record of... of, of uh, of Billy Joe Shaver songs. I, I think the truth is somewhere probably in between. You know, I knew um, I knew Billy Joe by this time. And I met Waylon shortly after I got to Nashville. And, you know, he didn't pay that much attention to me until years later when I started making records. And he was always a champion from that point on. But, um, you know, it's just that whole deal of... Um, you know, the outlaw thing that people talk about, it wasn't about drugs, but there were definitely drugs involved. And there was and there was people up all night and, and so the way people remember things and they were all there were all people that made things up for a living, so some stuff got made up. So I don't think we'll ever know exactly what the truth is and that's completely and totally okay with me. I don't think we thought about um it being an outlaw country at the time. I, outlaw country, as far as I know, no one used that term until after the, the outlaws came out, which was a, oh, we've been left behind, you know, second guest compilation that RCA put out after they'd let, you know, they'd let Willie Nelson go and they were trying to hang on to Waylon Jennings and, and um, they'd both become, they become the two biggest acts in country music overnight. And they, and they commanded a way younger audience than country music had been used to in a long time. So, um, it, you know, it, it's, I think it's all those things. I think, I, I don't think the term rockabilly was used that much in the fifties, you know, and uh, it was used, 
I think it was used, but not that widely. And, um, um, you know, people later on, you know, defined themselves that way, mainly in the 80s when it became kind of a big deal. That's when I got a record deal and how I got a record deal. But um, I just don't, um, you know, we th- what we thought of it as, especially people like me that listened to rock music, you know, and country music, it was the first country record that to me that that I heard that, you know, um, well, there were three records kind of right in a row. And there was, there was Shotgun Willie, Phases and Stages. And keep in mind that, that, that um, Honky Tonk Heroes was recorded the same time as those two Willie records. It just wasn't released until 73. It was recorded in 72, early in 72. So um, those three records are the first country records Certainly, since you know a handful of Johnny Cash records over the years that that held up as the album itself as a statement and as a piece of art, you know, like rock records, and you know, probably I think Rolling Stone and other people, you know, see Honky Tonk Heroes. That I think when they noticed something was going on was Honky Tonk Heroes. It kind of looked and felt like a rock record. There's these guys on the cover and. Waylon Jennings is a, was a really, really good guitar player, and 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 didn't sound like anybody else. So, you know, there are lead guitar players on the record, and um, most of them are studio players. But you know, the rhythm section on the vast majority of the tracks is is the Whalers, and 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 of course, Ralph Moon is in the band by this time. Who's my still my very favorite pedal steel player of all time. Uh, he went from Merle Haggard's band to Waylon's, and and. Um, well, you know, Merle, it took him a long time to settle on the steel player after Moon left. And uh, it was just the way that he played was he came from this sort of the speedy West, you know, West Coast school of pedal steel playing a lot of stuff, really up high, 12th fret and above, you know. And um, it's just, uh, you know, my favorite, you know, Waylon track comes from a little later, which is Rainy Day, you know, Rainy Day Woman, which has this, you know, the best pedal steel part of all time. But Honky Donk Heroes, that's, you know, Moon's making his presence felt for the first time. But the main thing, it's all Billy Joe Shaver songs. So the level of the songwriting is like, is pretty stunning. And um, except for one, there's one song that, um, that, you know, got insinuated under the record that's not a Billy Joe Shaver song. And that was just Jerry Bradley having to exert some sort of authority somehow. So he managed to tack the one song in there that wasn't Billy Joe's. But I always sort of just, pre- it's a good song, but I still always sort of pretend it's not there. Shotgun Willie and Phases and Stages were only moderately commercially successful at all. And then I, you heard them in Texas, but you didn't really hear them outside of that. But Honky Talk Heroes happens. And then, um, and I guess Redhead Strangers almost simultaneous. I don't know what the release dates on the two records are, but they're you know I associate the two records with you know the same time and the same moment. And um, it might be early '74 for Redhead Stranger. I don't remember, but um, I got to Nashville in November of '74. So you know, um, Waylon. By the time I got there, Waylon was making Dreaming My Dreams, which is another mind-blowing Waylon record. But Honky Tonk Heroes, just, I, I think the Billy Joe Shaver song sort of and encouraged Waylon to write more than he did. You know, that he could, he, he, I think he gained a lot of confidence in himself as a writer that the because Billy Joe's songs were, you know, kind of inspired a lot of people, you know. Um, you can write country songs and have them be really country and have them still be art. And the deal is... Billy Joe Shaver is not a post-Bob Dylan songwriter. 
he's he's I don't think he had ever heard Bob Dylan when he started writing songs and um all the rest of us were that were writing at this level he just did it effortlessly he wrote these you know really like alliterated way past the decimal point you know um incredibly poetic you know dark um but some but funny at the same time great songs and um he just came that way and um there's no way to explain it you know it's like uh it's like just god got up and decided to make a songwriter you know and and like the big thicket in east texas it's kind of weird it, you know, there's no way to, because the rest of us, like I said, were a lot of us. I was one of the few people in the group people I hung out with that didn't have a college education. You know, Guy did, Towns did to some degree. You know, even Bob McDill did, you know. And, um, you know, there was a fairly, the people that were writing country songs at that time were pretty smart, and most of them pretty well educated. And um, Billy Joe. Um, just, um, there's something about those songs. I don't think there are any better songs, and that includes the canon, you know, um, you know, Hank Williams and all of that. I don't think there's anybody's ever come along that wrote country songs that were, uh, artistically any more successful than Billy Joe Shavers. They're, they're kind of, they're kind of a standard that you can set up and if you can get anywhere near it, then you're doing all right. I, I, I'm from San Antonio, so Austin's only 90 miles away. And I'm, instinctively, I kind of knew that there was something happening in Texas, but also that the weather was too good and the girls were too pretty and the dope was too cheap and it would be hard to get any, for me to get anything done there. So I went to Houston first. And, you know, so two things. Guy Clark was already there. I knew that. Towns didn't really live anywhere, and I'd followed him to Houston in the first place. And, and Nashville was still in Towns' orbit. And then the deciding factor was was, you know, Willie was in Texas. He was back, and he wasn't going to go go back. So there was a case for going to Austin, but for some reason, Waylon Jennings was still in Nashville, and I had this um, going way back to, you know, only daddy that'll walk the line, you know. I mean, discovering Waylon Jennings originally was, you know, at a time when I was listening almost exclusively to rock and roll and, and, and you know, and, and folk music, you know, like acoustic singer-songwriters that, you know, in the rock, you know, genre or in those, those bins in the record stores. And then till I, before I discovered there was something going on in Texas, you know, before I found out about Towns and, and, you know, a handful of other artists that were first, when I first heard of Towns and then I didn't know that he was any less famous than Bob Dylan. His, his records were in the same record store, you know, I bought them in the same place. So I just, it took me a while to figure that out, that there were levels of all that and that there were regional acts. Um, so, you know, I, but I think Waylon played electric guitar. There was something different about that and the way that he played it. And there was something a little dangerous about him, you know. And he was like, it was like Johnny Cash. I always knew Johnny Cash was different, and I always listened to Johnny Cash. I always listened to Buck Owens. I always knew Buck Owens was different. I watched that TV show religiously. Um, and, I, and I grudgingly watched Merle Haggard. I was a hippie, and I was very much insulted by Oki from Muskogee, but I also knew there was a... a, a there was a, I had this Jimmy Rogers thing because folkies were into Jimmy Rogers too, especially if you were in Texas. And I, you know, um, same train, different time came out. And um, 
you know, I just like, I knew that that's kind of how I learned about Jimmy Rogers was listening to that Merle Haggard record. Cause my uncle had it. I had two uncles, one who, who was kind of where most of my country music and Western swing and that stuff came from. His name was Arlen Earl. He was my dad's brother. He's the best nine fingered piano player in Northeast Texas. And, and then my other uncle, my mom's brother, Nick Fain, gave me my first Hendrix Beatles Stones records and my first guitar. Yeah, so um, it's not, um, you know, that stuff. Um, and I was always the kid with long hair and cowboy boots. So a few things made me feel like I was all right. And one was the Johnny Cash show because I saw, you know, Neil Young and Bob Dylan and, and you know, Derek and the Dominoes on, on that show. And and um the you know uh willie nelson moving to texas i stopped getting my ass kicked so much and all of a sudden i was standing out in the cow pasture with guys that used to beat my ass on a regular basis and you know like listening to the same bands and you could have never predicted or i could have never predicted that texas would be what it is today the texas i left when i land in austin texas and i walk past that statue of barbara jordan that's the texas that i left nobody could imagine a republican governor um but i thought it was headed for being southern california i really did and um it was a pretty amazing time to be there but i also thought i needed a little more um serious environment that's the only way i put i saw nashville as a more serious environment to go and learn to write songs in. So I went to Nashville. And Honky Tonk Heroes had a lot to do with it. I mean, Honky Tonk Heroes, you know, and Guy Clark being there, you know, Waylon was there, Guy was there. Okay, well, I, it's okay for me not to stay here and and enjoy whatever this is that's happening in Austin. <laughs> but every time I pick up an electric guitar, I still string it the same way I do an acoustic guitar, pretty heavy strings. And Waylon Jennings has always been a huge influence on me, isn't it? as an electric guitar player. So um, I think now, you know, this record that I'm getting ready to release is completely and totally patterned after Honky Tonk Heroes. I've always got some kind of template for every record that I make. I'm, I, I don't have an original idea anywhere in my body and I don't claim to. Um, Transcendental Blues, there was a copy of Revolver and a copy of, of uh, Rubber Soul on the desk the whole time we were making it. Um, you know, um, the low highway was harvest and, and after the gold rush, and, and this was honky tonk heroes, not, not unapologetically, no doubt about it. I'm the back pickup of a Fender Telecaster for most of the record. Want to be an outlaw. We, I mean, I, I, I was kind of unapologetically channeling Waylon Jennings and, and, you know, and we ended up recording, you know, we recorded one song from honky tonk heroes. We recorded, um, um, ain't no God in Mexico. Uh, and, um, I called Billy Joe told him that I cut it and he cried but um I did um you know we did um are you sure Hank done it this way and then two Willie Nelson songs the local memory and which is on which is on shotgun Willie and um sisters coming home down to the local beer joint which is a medley that's on faces and stages which is a great concept record that Willie made about his own divorce and um you know it, it's um I don't um you know, this record is when I kind of decided to come full circle um, and reconnect myself to why I came to Nashville. And, you know, it wasn't I didn't have any desire to 
to repeat Guitar Town, you know, there's no use in doing that again, but but the idea of it's actually going back further and, and you know, I didn't have an electric guitar when Honky Tonk Heroes came out. I very rarely played electric guitar and I just kind of going back and putting myself in that in, in that place and adding a steel player to the band for the first time in years. Um, I just, I had a steel player that was such an asshole that it sort of put me off the instrument for a long time and so we've got a steel player again and um, I don't, um, you know, I just, it's not, I don't see it as a, a retro record, but I do see it as as an acknowledgement of, of, of the kind of country music that I come from, which isn't that much different than rock and roll when it gets right down to it. It's really kind of this great country and great rock and roll have always been this this the same thing to me, and I think that's probably true, that was probably true of Waylon Jennings, too. He, he was in Buddy Holly's band, but they both considered themselves to be country musicians, first and foremost. I was really a folky before I was anything else, but, you know, I came to Nashville, and, and you know, I talk like this. So even when I, as rock and roll as I want to get, people will always define me as country to a certain extent, no matter what I do. So um, I'm surrendering to it to a certain extent. But, I, you know, I made a country record, but same thing happened that when I made, I decided to write country songs when, when Justin was born because I, I was panicking because I had a kid and I had to take care of him and everybody thought my songs were too country in Nashville at that time and I couldn't get them recorded. And some of those songs have been recorded since, you know. I wrote Sometimes She Forgets during that period of time. I wrote, you know. But it's, you know, this is a, I guess it's a, it's a country record. Not, not that I set out to make a country record. It's kind of an archaic country record. And, you know, I don't, um, you know, the best country music nowadays is for, the, my favorite stuff's being made by women. You know, the best songwriters are, for the most part, women. Because the guys are, seem to be locked into this thing of for the most part and it's not everybody but but the vast majority of it seems to be hip-hop for people that are afraid of black people and and you know I, I still like a little guilt and remorse in my drinking songs you know it's one of those deals um i've been sober a long time so that may be part of it but i think i kind of even when i was drinking i did you know i sort of was okay with feeling guilty about it thought that was perfectly natural Outlaw was about artistic freedom. It was about people that didn't want to make records the way that they've been made nationally. They didn't want to be told what to record because some some producer had lunch with some publisher, you know, and they made a deal that they that the artist wasn't privy to because that's the way it worked for a long time. And um, you know, there's um, you know the outlaw. If there was an outlaw movement, it was about, about and, and, and Honky Tonk Heroes is at the center of this, it was about country artists looking at rock records that were getting made and saying, hey, these guys are controlling you know, their own artistic destiny, and we need to be able to do that too. The thing about using your own band, the reason, the, the, the common... Wisdom was it was a dumb thing to do in Nashville, and it makes sense on one level. There were great players there. These guys that played on all the sessions in Nashville were great players, and Bob Dylan came there to record for a reason. It was to use those players. Is that he could make records really quickly. He could sit in one room until he came up with a song, then walk in and have a finished record, or at least a version of it, you know, 15 minutes later. And then he'd decide whether that was it or whether it was finished or not and, and either keep it or go back to the drawing board. Um, you know, uh, Joan Baez came to Nashville to record, uh, 
and, and it was all it was mostly about the players. It was mostly about the way that they recorded the Nashville number system, which was a way of notating music that was simple and you could change the key instantly. Oh, let's make this take this up a step, and you didn't have to rewrite charts because that's not whatever. That's not they're, they're not completely and totally head arrangements, but um, th that's the closest way to describe them. And um, they were really good at it. But there are some acts that would develop a style of their own out on the road. And, and Waylon, there'd been a Whalers for a long time, so Waylon Jennings knew who he was as a guitar player and as a singer, and most of his records he didn't even play guitar on. So that's the biggest thing. The most important thing about the record is that Waylon Jennings is playing electric guitar on it. And he's, he's, on, he's on a lot of the earlier records. He's on Only Daddy and, and, and some other stuff. But, you know, there's a lot that people wanted him to just play. The very first session I ever did, I had a drummer in, in Nashville, you know, for a record. It was for a demo for RCA that I didn't end up getting the deal a famous drummer, as we're walking back into here, play, says, you know, if you'd put that guitar down, we'd have this track in a few minutes. It was just really, if you had any sort of eccentric sense of rhythm at all, it was discouraged because it slowed the process down. And, um, you know, it was about economics. It was about getting five songs in three hours. It was about, and they were good at it. They prided themselves on it. And when somebody wanted to take a little bit more time or wanted to do something a little bit different, it, there were a lot of people that were threatened by it. You just put it on and, and drop the needle. It's an album. It's not like, you know, what, you know, calling them albums is like maybe a misnomer because an album is, the term album was coined for collections of singles that were put together in an album, a collection, you know, um, and were put out. And they were kind of a secondary thing. Singles were the big thing, especially in country music. Because of jukeboxes, most of the singles that were sold were sold for jukeboxes and there was more country music on jukeboxes way later than any other kind of music. So jukeboxes were still powerful in 1973, 1974 in the country industry. And they were almost gone in, in rock and roll because rock and roll had become about albums by that time. Um, you just put, you can, Honky Tonk Heroes, you know, is, uh, you can just put it on. You can listen to the whole record all the way through. That's the big difference between it and probably, you know, Honky Tonk Heroes, Phases and Stages, and Before That Shotgun Willie, or, you know, there are, were made to be albums, especially Phases and Stages and Honky Tonk Heroes. Because Honky Tonk Heroes is the, everything, virtually everything Billy Joe Shaver wrote, with the exception of a couple of songs up to that point in his life. And because he started writing kind of late, you know, in his 20s, and and he wrote all of these songs, these I mean, Hawk Dog Heroes, Old Five and Dimers, Willie the Wandering Gypsy, Low Down Freedom, Omaha, You Asked Me To, Ride Me Down Easy, Ain't No God in Mexico, and Black Rose. You know, every one of those songs, you know, I know the Billy Joe Shaver versions by heart. I know the Waylon Jennings versions by heart. And, um, you know, there's been stories told about this record as long as I've been doing this. And, and, and it was sort of made just as I was getting started and, you know, just as I was beginning to define myself as a singer and a songwriter and as a Texas singer and songwriter. And so it's kind of hard for a record to get much more important than this for me. You know, I love Honky Tonk Heroes itself. I love old Five and Dimers. Yeah, um, you know, you asked me to kind of become Billy Joe's sort of, you know, theme song. He walks on and walks off to it. Um, Ain't No God in Mexico, I just recorded myself. But Willie the Wanderer and Gypsy and me, just as what I remember that moment, you know, um, 
Billy Joe doing it and Willie and Waylon doing it and Willie and Billy Joe doing it. And it just became part of, you know, it, it started the thing that later on, you know, it got kind of out of hand. And, and there was a, I saw an article once that, I don't know, it was somebody wrote in Country Music Magazine where he was, guy was talking to a, some kid, some guy coming off an oil rig and says, those country singers that used to sing about us, now all they sing about is each other. But I blame more of that on, you know, David Allen Coe than I do this particular moment in time. But it, it Willie the Wonder and Gypsy and Me, to me, is like, I associate that with sitting in the dirt at the at the 4th of July picnic and, and, and the Dripping Springs reunion and, and seeing, seeing, you know, Willie singing that song, you know, some of the first times that he sang it. And um, uh, it's, you know, it's a lot of, a lot of who I am, you know, as a singer and a songwriter comes from, you know, those shows and, you know, those moments where all the rock and roll that I'd listened to and all the country music that I'd listened to all sort of made sense in one place, in one record collection, or in one set of music live on stage. Thanks for listening to Fidelity High. For an extended version of this episode, including songs from the featured artists, please visit fidelityhigh.com.